Spirit of God, fall upon me, the preacher of your word this morning. Make these words your words. Open hearts to receive your truth. And Lord, please be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, that letter to the Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians that we heard from this morning is certainly a word for us believers, Christians, living in, uh, in, in troubled times. Uh, 2020 just keeps on piling on. It really does. Uh, we are troubled by the pandemic. We're troubled by the lockdowns, the loss of employment, the economic uncertainty. We're troubled by being reminded of the reality of racial prejudice and hatred. We're troubled by a resurgent Marxism, anarchism, and violent riots. We're troubled by intemperate and immoderate political leadership. Uh, that's fancy talk for leaders who cannot control their emotions or behaviors in public. We are troubled by a spirit of intolerance embodied in social media mobs and adopted by high-tech censors. We're troubled by the growing hostility of influencers and institutions against Orthodox Christian faith and that this seems to be the last remaining acceptable form of bigotry in our nation. And then we can add on to these public anxieties our own experiences with broken relationships and with sickness and with grief and isolation. And we really, really, really needed to hear those words from Paul today. Because here is the context for Paul saying these things that we heard in Philippians chapter 4. Paul is in prison, y'all. Paul is in prison. He's in jail. He may be executed. He's a, people didn't go, oh, you're going to go serve uh, six months in, in uh, jail for public uh, disturbances. Usually jail was the way to the executioner's block. It's just where you were passing through. So there was a possibility that he was going to be executed when he writes these words. Paul writes to a church which itself is facing opposition and persecution from its pagan neighbors. In fact, if we go back earlier in the, in the book of, or the little letter of Philippians, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, Paul gives us their context. He says, For it has been granted to you, Philippians, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So with that context in mind, listen again to those first two verses that Randy read for us this morning from Philippians 4 verses 4 and 5. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So Paul is in prison. The Philippian church is suffering genuine persecution, and he says to them, rejoice in the Lord. And because it's such a, an incongruous statement in their given situation, he says, no, I really mean it. And he says, again, I say rejoice. Here's the application for us. Notice that Paul did not say, rejoice in your circumstances. He did not say, suck it up and rejoice when life is horrible. 
He didn't say Hakuna Matata. No, he says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ who loves us and will be faithful to us regardless of our circumstances or our hardships or 2020. Last year, after spending time with the Lord, um, I usually go on a, a prayer hike. The farther I hike, the clearer I can hear the Lord speak. Uh, if I just keep on walking, I'll be, I'll be really full of God's word, but you won't see me anymore. I'll be going down the trail. But last year, after spending time with the Lord and then conferring with our lay leadership, I announced that the theme for 2020 at Christ Church would be resting in and enjoying. This was the theme. In 2019, I said that the Lord's theme for our church for 2020 was re resting in and enjoying God's favor. And you might say, well, you sure heard God wrong. But, beloved, we have. We have, in fact, seen God's favor at Christ Church in 2020. We've seen it in our personal lives. Things that we did not think were blessings at the time have turned out to be blessings. God has blessed us in some ways. I know I feel like it's also a form of judgment, but COVID has blessed my family. My wife lost her job. I didn't think that was a blessing from, from God, but she is able to do so much more ministry and I'm able to do so much more ministry because she's home and you know, God is meeting our needs. Thanks be to God. I rejoice in the Lord. God's been faithful to us as a church at Christ Church. We have, in a, bizarrely, we have grown numerically during a pandemic. <laughs> Our finances this year are, as str are stronger than they have ever been in the 12 years of us being a church together. God has demonstrated his faithfulness through the radical generosity of his people. Rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord. Earlier this year, many churches took the payroll protection plan loans offered by the government during the pandemic. I saw free money, and I was open to this idea. <laughs> but our lay leadership was firm in their refusal to accept money from the government. They said, we will trust in God's faithfulness, and they were right. Rejoice in the Lord. In fact, I would say, I would add this verse of Scripture to the theme that God gave us for 2020, Psalm 31, verse 21. It keeps coming to my mind over and over again. Psalm 31, verse 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. A city under siege. And he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me, to us. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul then encourages this struggling, troubled church to let their reasonableness be known to everyone. In other words, not just in your church, but show it to everybody else, too. This is a vital ad, uh, admonition from Paul. That word, the actual Greek word, which I will not attempt to uh, pronounce this morning, is a very difficult word to translate into English. It could be translated graciousness or moderation gentleness, magnanimity, and fair-mindedness. Now, if you are like me, just hearing those qualities in 2020 is like water to my thirsty soul. 
graciousness, moderation, gentleness, magnanimity, fair-mindedness. We're surrounded by shrill, extreme, harsh, irrational, and unreasonable rhetoric everywhere right now, everywhere. The temptation for us when we are pushed or pressured, and I'm sure for the suffering Philippian church in times like that, is to lash out. But Paul says in a world where civility and graciousness are in short supply, the church, the church, I've lived to see this happen, the church is the voice of reason in our culture. We are the voice of reason. We are to embody what one translator called sweet reasonableness before a godless world. Sweet reasonableness. Now, I'm sure you may be thinking, because I'm sure the Philippians were probably thinking this, how can we even do that? What motivates our reasonableness, our graciousness, our forbearance? Well, Paul gives the answer. He says, the Lord is at hand. Be reasonable, the Lord is at hand. That means two things. First of all, it means that the Lord is near right now, no matter how much more like 2020, 2020 becomes. He's near right now. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. You're thinking, I think I've sung these words before. You have. How firm a foundation. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, last words from our Lord before he ascended into heaven, and behold, I am with you every now and then. No. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let your generosity, your graciousness, your reasonableness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. He's right here. And secondly, this is an encouragement that the Lord's return is imminent. It's at least 2,000 years more imminent than it was when he wrote, Paul wrote this letter. <laughs> Jesus was coming soon then. He's coming real soon now. So we don't have to get worked up and overwrought because the Lord will return. He has promised to return to establish his just, righteous, and peaceable kingdom. Wickedness will be judged. Faithfulness in Christ will bring eternal, the eternal fruit of blessedness. Revelation 22, thir, uh, 12 and 13, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, and to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Amen. Come, Jesus. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So many of us are fearful and worried right now, but Paul, who is in prison with the threat of execution hanging over him, gives this counsel to his readers in the Philippian church. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgivings. That's, also, that's actually three different ways of speaking about prayer as it, is in, as it reads in the Greek. It's all three ways of looking at prayer. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And what will happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, doesn't make any sense at all, passes all understanding, will guard, it will garrison like a, like a battalion of the 82nd Airborne around your heart. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, anxiety and worry are at mental health crisis levels in this country right now, but, oh, dear church, that is not who we are. We are not those people. We are not a hopeless people. We're not a fearful people. We are a praying people. We have a living God who loves to hear and loves to answer prayer. If you are anxious about the election or the pandemic or about the economy or about religious liberty or about your unsaved children or loved ones, let me tell you good news. Supernatural peace is your birthright as a child of God. As a born-again, baptized follower of Jesus Christ, supernatural peace today, not tomorrow, today is your birthright. Every worry is your prompt to prayer. So if Satan is stirring you up to be anxious, take that stick away from him and beat him with it. <laughs> and every time he makes you worried about something, you just say, oh, it's time to pray again. Worries will suddenly disappear. Pray until you have peace. Let me tell you a story. I've been waiting all week to say this name. Alexander Ogorodnikov. Oh, that was satisfying. <laughs> Alexander Ogorodnikov was a Christian dissident whose faithfulness to Jesus Christ resulted in him being imprisoned and tortured in the former Soviet Union in 1978. He survived that travail with his body bearing scars, but his faith remains vibrant and free to this day. Rod Dreher recently interviewed him for his new book, Live Not By Lies. And here it goes. When we were put in the cell with the other inmates, I said, peace be with you, Ogornikov, I've got to say it again, Ogorodnikov remembers. One of the prisoners asked if I was a Christian. I said, I, I said, yes. He told me to prove it. Another inmate said, we are the scum of the earth. We don't even have cigarettes. If your God will give us cigarettes, we'll, believe, we'll all believe in him. <laughs> Ogorodnikov told his fellow prisoners that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and smoking fouls it. But he continued, God loves you so much that I believe that he would even give you cigarettes as a sign of his mercy. Ogorodnikov asked them all to stand and pray together for this. Everybody laughed, but they stood respectfully, and he led them in prayer. The cell, he says that cell was very quiet. It was very crowded, but it became very quiet, he recalls. We prayed for 15 minutes. Then I told them the prayer was over, and they could sit down. At just that moment, the guards opened the cell door and threw a bunch of cigarettes into the cell. <laughs> that really happened, I asked, astonished. That really happened, he answered. It was incredible. There was the sign I had prayed for. The prisoners shouted, 
God exists. <laughs> he exists. <laughs> and that is when I knew that God was speaking to me too. He was telling me that he had a mission for me here in this prison. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Are you troubled, Christian? Well, then let me ask you this. What are you feeling, filling? What are you filling your mind with? Are you, are you feeding your mind with fear and violence and hatred? Garbage in, garbage out. Listen to what Paul says in verse 8, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, brothers and sisters, I am not telling you this morning to be uninformed. But if you spend more time consuming the news, reading inflammatory and, yes, hysterical social media rants, than you do rejoicing in the Lord, in prayer, thanksgiving, consuming the scriptures, then you will be fearful and anxious. Garbage in, garbage out. So let's... Let's turn a few of those qualities Paul lifts up in that verse into questions about our thought life. What are we dwelling on? Let me ask you this. Is it true? Are you, what are you dwelling on? Is it true? Have you noticed that we will lap up false witness when it is against figures that we hate? We'll just lap it up. Lap it up. Like pigs in slop. Is it honorable? Am I thinking of things that are honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it? Is it lovely? Is it praiseworthy? Is it worthy of praise? So yes, beloved, fill your Minds with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Look for the true also. Look for the true and the good and the beautiful everywhere else too. You see, we are so willing to fill our minds with the ugliness we encounter all around us. We're so willing to fill our minds with the ugliness of the world around us then in the name of God, why shouldn't we be willing to fill our minds with the beauty of God that likewise shines forth by his common good grace everywhere around us? Why do we choose to linger in the ugly when God reveals his beauty, not just in his word, not just in the doctrines of the church, not just in his sacraments, but in every blade of grass and in every turning leaf? Can I tell you something personal? Well, I'm going to anyway. <laughs> One of the most spiritually transformational lives, life events in the last two months for me was when I unplugged from the news and immersed myself in two beautiful works of literature. Literature. 
that were so, were so true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and worthy of praise. Is anything commendable? Yes, they were, and therefore I commend them to you. They weren't sappy, preachy Christian books. I wasn't sitting there reading Amish romance novels. And I just alienated all the people who sit there reading Amish romance novels. No, they weren't sappy or preachy, but they were books written by a, a, a Christian artist who base, based his vis, visual art in uh, classical Christian iconography. His name is Michael D. O'Brien. Michael D. O'Brien. I cannot do justice to what happened in the reading of this literature for you this morning. In fact, it, it, it won't bear the same weight that it does for me. But these books made me love Jesus more. These books made me love you more. These books made me want to be more courageous, and I think made me more courageous. That's what thinking about the good and the true and the beautiful things that are lovely and pure and praiseworthy and commendable with any excellence. They transported me out of my worries back into God's truth. I just can't do them justice. You'll have to read them yourselves. I want to read you, though, one little point, uh, portion of that book, the second book, Elijah in Jerusalem. And again, it won't mean to you what it means to me, but I want you to listen to the beauty of these words. The main character is Father Elijah. He is an elderly Jewish follower of Jesus. He has been made a bishop in God's church. He is a Holocaust survivor. And as a bishop, he has been sent on a special mission at the end of his life. And just before this mission places him in great physical and spiritual danger, he is in a house in the countryside in Israel where Palestinian Christians and Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians live together in community, living out peace. And one evening after dinner, the community gathers for music and dancing in the common dining room, the refectory of this house. And O'Brien writes about Elijah, Father Elijah, Abuna Elijah. Perhaps because of the accumulated joy in the room or the ridiculousness, or perhaps a little influenced by the wine, Elijah got up from his observation post and walked among the dancers, this old man. He gave no, no forethought to this. He simply did it. An island in the streams running past him. He closed his eyes and remembered a little dancing boy in a city long ago and far away just before night fell on the world. He raised his arms and began to sing a Yiddish song that no one around him could hear. Moving with the rhythm of that song, his body revolved slowly and his arms swayed like cypresses in the wind. His childhood trove of memories opened, catching snowflakes on his tongue in the Sashki Gardens, reaching for a summer star as if he could pluck it and save it and love it and keep it. Then he was lifted in his father's arms in a crowd of dancing men 
lifted high above their heads, and he was a bird. Then he was 13, dancing at his bar mitzvah. And finally, Ruth was dancing with him on the day of their marriage, and their love was stronger than death. All of these blended into one timeless moment, and he let it take him. Now he saw a cloud of witnesses above him, praying for those who danced below. And he saw the guardian angels, too, dancing with them. And because they were beyond time, they were also dancing for him during the long, desolate years when he could not. And he saw that what he had lost was not gone forever. For he danced in a single unity of past and present and future, a stream in the great river flowing from paradise. Think on these things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious for anything. The Lord is at hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.